Today, I want to talk with you about a parable that is a very misunderstood parable and has been for many years, at least by myself and I'm sure many others too. But it's the parable of the persistent widow. It's about Jesus teaching us on prayer. Now, Jesus is able to teach on prayer because He was such a great example of prayer. I just pulled up a few verses regarding Jesus and how He prayed, and, I, and, and this is just touching the tip of an iceberg. But in Mark 6, 46, it says, And after He had taken leave of them, He went up on the mountain to pray. He always went away to pray. Luke 5, 16 says, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. We see in Mark 1.35, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. So here Jesus gets up early in the morning while it was still dark. In that portion of the world, if you're going to get up early in the morning while it's still dark, it's going to have to be around about 3 a.m. or 3.30 a.m. in the morning. Here Jesus is praying. We also see in Matthew 14, 23, after he had sent the crowds away, this is at the end of the day, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray, and when it was evening, he was there alone. So we see, here, here's Jesus. At night, at the end of a long day, he's praying alone. Early in the morning, early every morning, he's up again before the sun rises and he's praying again. So I'm just reading those verses to you to show you that Jesus didn't tell us to do something that he wasn't doing already. But the thing here is that if Jesus was so perfect and so righteous and so pure, yet drew near to God so often, how much more incessant ought we not to be in our prayer life. Consider that Jesus was pure, so perfect in every way, so mighty, so great, yet He prayed so often. How blind are we to think? We who are none of that don't need prayer. All the more do we need prayer since who we are in comparison to who He is. So we're going to look at the parable of the widow, but Jesus starts this parable in His teaching by first giving us a command. And in this command, as He gives it, at, in verse 1, He tells us what to do, and then He gives the parable as an explanation of why that needs to happen and how possible it is that our prayers can be answered. He says in verse 1, and He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. This is how he starts his teaching. You ought always to pray. Pray always and do not lose heart. <coughs> right off the bat, when you read one statement made in the Bible, you realize that it's so packed with meaning. For instance, he says, in this parable, the Bible says, and he told them a parable to the effect. In other words, here is the effect of this parable I'm about to tell you. Here is the effect. In other words, what is the effect? That we ought to always pray and never lose heart. So my goal with today is that you will learn by this parable Jesus is telling that 
You ought to always pray because it's a never a loss. It's never a waste of time. And he says they never lose heart. That means always pray and don't lose heart in your praying. But he's also saying that pray enough so that you would never lose heart. Pray enough so you would never lose heart. If you have lost heart, that's a sign that you need to pray more. You need to persevere in your prayer. You need to be, you need to be persistent in your prayers. So here's a good sign as to when you've prayed enough. You, have no, you no longer have lost heart in life, in marriage, in every part of your life. So pray enough that you would never lose heart. So what did Jesus mean when he said you ought to pray always? You need to pray always. I've often wondered about that because as I've read that throughout my life, I remember in high school reading that and I'm thinking, okay, I'm supposed to pray as I walk into every class, pray while I sit at my desk, pray while I walk out of the class, pray while I'm playing rugby, pray while I'm doing what I shouldn't be doing. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> you know, how do you pray always? Are you always to go, Lord, I thank you, Father, I thank you, Father, and kind of like forget that anybody's around you. But let me, let me outline for you a few truths about that statement that will help you also pray always. The first is, he's, he meant that the Christian should live a prayerful lifestyle. Prayerfully go about your life. We should pray daily. Thank Him for every, every day His new mercies. Thank Him for the day. Thank Him for saving me. Thank Him for saving my family, my wife, my children, my family, my church family. Thank Him for saving our city. Thank Him for saving our nation. We have so much to pray for on a daily basis. We can give Him thanks and we can thank Him for giving us our daily bread. In other words, all the provision that we may need. Daily ask Him for wisdom on what you should do, how you should do it, when you should do it. Uh, there's so many things that we need to pray for wisdom for, whether it be on the workplace or in the church or in, the ma or in marriage or in the family. There's so much wisdom we need to really live a prayerful life. So we can always thank God for that on a daily basis. But every decision, every small or great decision should first be filtered through the very Scriptures before we act on it. We know that. But not just the big and the small decisions. How about your reaction, your responses to your children, to your family, or to the person driving behind you or in front of you, or your boss or people on the work? You ought to be prayerful about your reactions. But the question is, like, how can you do that? How can you focus on the job and be prayerful? How can you roll up your sleeves and go to work, rush back and forth, because most of us are in a rat race anyway. How can we be in this rat race yet pray always? Well, here's your answer, is that when you allow your conscience to be constructed by scriptures, you know that your conscience always speaks to you, right? If you are not thinking and you do a wrong thing, you snap at somebody because you weren't thoughtful, immediately your conscience strikes at your heart, doesn't it? Well, what is that? That is filtering what you just did through the Scriptures that says you ought to be long-suffering. That's what that is. The Scripture has, your conscience has been constructed by the Scripture that says that you ought to be patient because love is patient. And I just snapped at this person. So what happened right there in a split second, 
is that your unthoughtful reaction to some kind of irritation cause your conscience to accuse you, the scripture says don't do that. And you go, oh, that's right. That was prayerfully seeking God's will in my response to an uncomfortable situation. <laughs> that's what that was. Because if I'm prayerful about a decision, what do I do? I go to scriptures and I say, God, help me decide, help me that I would make the right decision here. And I'm seeking the will of God in scriptures. But if my conscience is already constructed by those scriptures, I don't have to seek out, how does love respond to a person who irritates me? Oh, love is patient. Oh, okay, I should have been patient. You see, I don't have to take all that time to figure out how I was supposed to respond to that irritating individual. I, my conscience already tells me. And so, here's your answer. How do you, how do you live a prayerful life? You live a prayerful life by constructing a scriptural conscience. And allow your conscience to accuse you or excuse you based on the highest truth you've been exposed to. Again, let me say that. Allow your conscience to accuse you or excuse you based on the highest truth you have been exposed to, which is that love is patient and love is kind. Do not be angry. Don't, be short, don't have a short fuse. Don't be short-tempered because the Word of God tell, taught my conscience that I need to be held accountable. Does this make sense to everybody? Simple. That is living a prayerful or a life prayerfully. Living your life prayerfully. Being scripturally aware or aware of scriptures as you walk through your life, as you run down uh, through this rat race. Having a scriptural conscience is your answer. Secondly, what did Jesus mean when he told us that we ought to always pray and not lose heart? He said, he meant that the Christian should persevere in prayer. Always. Always. You should persevere. You should persist. This means that there is never a time in your life where you quit praying. Um, I don't know if you've ever started listening to Charles Spurgeon. He's a little difficult to read and listen to because of high English, but so insightful. I love this quote he gave regarding persevering in prayer. He says this, and I quote, Week by week, month by month, year by year, the conversion of that dear child is to be the father's main plea. Begging God, week by week, month by month, year by year, for their salvation. The bringing in of that unconverted husband is to lie upon the wife's heart night and day until she gets it. She is not to take even 10 or 20 years of unsuccessful prayer as a reason why she should now stop. In other words, 20 years later, she's still persevering in prayer for her unsaved husband. What Jesus meant when he said you ought to always pray and never lose heart is that you ought to persevere in persistent prayer. Thirdly, what did Jesus mean when he said pray always? Is that believers should pray more frequently. More frequently. We read the history, not in the Bible, but in history books of the Apostle James, that he prayed so much that his knees became calloused. That his knees became like the knees of camel. It is also recorded by Fox, historically, that the reformer called Latimer, 
lived in, 50, he was burnt by the Catholic Church in 1555. He was burnt alive. During this time, prior to his execution, he was in prison. And even before pr prison, he prayed so many hours a day, he was on his knees that he couldn't get up off of his knees. His friends always would have to come and lift him when it was time for him to have something to eat. The Bible says that Daniel opened his windows three times a day and he called out to God. King David says in Psalms 119 verse 165, seven times a day I will pray. Seven times a day I will praise you. This is King David. So thirdly, we see that Jesus meant by you ought to pray always. He meant that you need to pray. You need to have a lifestyle of prayer, a prayerful lifestyle. Secondly, you have to persevere in your prayer. Thirdly, you need to pray more frequently. Fourthly, Jesus meant that believers should engage in a universal prayer life. A universal prayer life. That's what it means to pray always. That means that you and I should pray in every season of our lives, throughout our entire life. Every season of your life, throughout your entire life. You, you can write this down. Breath is to the lungs like prayer is to the Spirit. Breath is to your lungs like prayer is to your spirit. Do you know, when you ask somebody, are you a follower of Christ? They go, yeah, I follow Jesus. Then you ask them, okay, well, what does that actually mean? What is the workable definition of following Christ? Well, Jesus said this. He said, I am the way and the truth. No one comes to the Father but through me. There are two things there, okay? The first thing is Jesus says that he is the way. And the second thing is there's a destination, the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. There's a destination. I mean, there's a, there's a way, and then there's a destination. And if you are following Jesus, you are following him to that destination, which is what? The Father. You see, Adam and Eve fell, not out of heaven, but fell from relationship with the Father, Jesus came to restore us back to the Father. We are now reconciled to God in Christ Jesus, right? Reconciled to God in Christ Jesus. So here's, here's what's important to realize. If I am a follower of Jesus, I follow Him all the way into being reconciled into a relationship where I have communion Communication with the Father. A prayer life. <laughs> Make sense? Following Jesus means you commune with the Father now. You have access to His presence. He speaks to you and you speak to Him in prayer. He speaks to you in the Word. You speak to Him in prayer. He speaks to you in the Word. So we see that we ought to have this communion with the Father. Because we have been called to be in communion with Him in every season of our lives, throughout our entire lives. What this means practically is that we ought to pray in every season of our lives. Not just in bad times, but also in good times, we ought to commune with the Father. That means not just when we feel timid do we run to God. No, but when we are confident, we also commune with God throughout our lives. 
Not just when, when we are filled with sorrow ought we to run to God. No, we ought to commune with Him even when we are happy. Not just in times of sickness do we run to Him, but in times of health do we commune with God. In all your transactions, whether secular or spiritual, it's always a communication with God. Because even on your job, even if your job, you are surrounded by the most godless people, you still have a conscience and you're still communing with God regarding every single one of your transactions, your statements, how short you are or how, how impatient you were. Isn't this true? And so we commune with God throughout our lives. So Jesus meant to say that we should have a lifestyle of prayer. We should persevere in prayer. We should pray more frequently, and we should have a universal prayer life throughout life. So that's what he meant when he said you ought to always pray and not lose heart. You need to always pray and not lose heart. Let's go to that next section. After he opens up this parable with that statement, that command to always pray, he now goes to the story that's going to explain to you why you need to always pray. And today, I believe that you're not going to feel like I'm over here twisting your arm like, come on, pray more. All right, I'll come to pray. Okay, I'll pray more. Okay, I'll... I'm not twisting your arm to do anything. I'm just saying to you, imagine what would happen if you did pray more persistently, if you persevered in your prayer. What would happen if you have a life of prayer? What would happen if, in fact, you had a universal prayer life? You prayed more frequently. I'm not telling you that you have to. I'm just saying, like, can you imagine what would happen if you did? And so Jesus now is going to explain to us in the story why he gave us that command. Are you ready? He said in verse 2, he said, In a certain city, now he's telling the story, okay, this is a parable. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. I don't know about you, but this story has always confused me so much. <laughs> How God would parallel himself with a godless, disrespectful, unjust, wicked judge. But anyway, here's the story. And there was, he says, in, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Another translation says, so that she would stop wearing me out. And the Lord said, as Jesus is teaching, Hear what that unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to His elect? Will not God give justice to who? His elect. Let's just say that. Let me hear you say that. Will not God give justice to who? His elect. Who cry to Him day and night, will He delay long over them? The answer is no, He won't. Verse 8, I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. He will give justice to them speedily. So when I look at the story, there are a few things that jump out at me. The first is, 
that in this verse, God introduces to us the first of two characters. You have two characters in the story. You have a judge, and then you have a poor widow. She comes and she begs this judge over and over and over and over again, give me justice, give me justice from my adversary, give me justice. He turns around and he says, you know what, just, okay, I'll give you justice so you could leave me alone. I don't care about you. I need you to leave me alone. So in this first verse, we see the Lord introduces this first character, the story, the judge, who neither fears God nor does he respect man. What is Jesus telling us, family? He's telling us that if this poor widow was able to have her requests answered by this godless, disrespectful judge, then how much more wouldn't you and I be able to have our prayer requests prayer request answered by our loving, caring Father in heaven? She gets the judge to respond to her because she is wearing him out. How much more won't we see our Father respond to us because he has promised us that he would answer us. The second thing that stands out is that this judge had a character flaw, major character flaw. As a matter of fact, he failed in two major areas in life that God calls us to. He says, now what is the new commandment? That you love God, with all of your heart, mind, and strength, and that you love your neighbor as you love yourself. This judge, on the contrary, he failed in both those areas. He did not fear God. Therefore, one could say that he had no conscience before God. He couldn't care what God thought about how he went about his business. So when it came to God, he didn't love God, he didn't fear God. And when it came to men, he respected people, disrespected people. He obviously lacked compassion. So he didn't love God and he lacked compassion. He had no conscience. He had no compassion. But what made it worse was that Jesus tells us that he actually said this to himself. In this story that Jesus tells, Jesus says, and he said to himself, I don't fear God, and I do not respect man. But my gosh, she's wearing me out. This judge was a wicked human being, he answered only to himself. He had to have been a narcissist. Being able to actually verbalize that to yourself. As a judge to say, and I disrespect humans. Family, what Jesus is telling us here is that if this widow's persistent requests were so effective that she could solicit a positive response from this wretched judge who was compromised in his character, he lacked compassion, then how much more would our persistent prayer prevail when we come to our Father, who is righteous, who is just, who is good, the friend of the needy, the father of the fearless, the avenger of those who are truly oppressed. So let this poor widow's persistent request encourage you to persevere in your prayer life. It's time, family, that you and I Fix our prayer lives. I don't think that there's one sincere person here today that if I had to ask, how many of you need to pray more, wouldn't raise your hand. I think every one of us would. So now you know what it feels like or what it must feel like to stand up here going like, I need to raise my hand too. 
But let me tell you that you should be praying more. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's a strange feeling. Because I know I need, to, I need to pray more. You might say, Jacques, why are you teaching this now? Because to me it seems like what Jesus said in the very beginning. He said you ought to pray and not lose heart. You need to always pray and not lose heart. I know there are going to be times in our very near future, if not this week or even starting yesterday, that you aren't going to come to points where you're going to feel like you're losing heart. Well, you need to pray. And, of course, you know, in the next month, two months, three months, you're going to have to learn to not build your prayer life in the middle of a storm. Build your prayer life before the storm. Don't lose heart before the storm hits. In other words, you have to put your stake in the ground now. Decide now what you're going to do then. Because most of the times, we don't do that. We don't decide now how we're going to act then. And when we get there, we're like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have acted that way. I didn't really think through what I shouldn't have, you know. So we make all the wrong decisions because we, are, we, come, we come to the party late. Now is the decision that we make that we pray always and we will not lose heart then. As you see in society, love doesn't grow and hate doesn't taper off. But disagreements just become greater and deeper. And resentment increases. And name-calling continues. And all I can tell you is, for you to be insulated, not isolated, but insulated from all the hate that flows through society. And don't be shocked. This is a fallen society, is it not? So don't be shocked by it, but be insulated from it, not isolated. We are in this world even though we are not of this world. How are you insulated? Pray always and do not lose heart. So, we, hear, we see here that you have a much greater chance of having your prayers answered because your Father who listens to you is righteous, just, good. He's a friend to the needy. He avenges all those who are truly oppressed and He's the Father to the fatherless. He, you have a much greater chance of, of having Him answer your prayer than what this poor widow had because, when she went to the judge who was none of that. He was the opposite. He didn't fear God and he did not respect people. But yet she had her request answered because she persevered. She was persistent. And Jesus says, is saying, how much more wouldn't you get your prayers answered if you persevere and you are persistent with your Father who is good, holy, just, a friend to the needy, Father to the fatherless. So let this poor widow's persistent request encourage you to persevere in your prayer. The third thing that I see is how selfish this judge was as we look at this judge. He was selfish. We see that he wasn't God-fearing. He wasn't respectful. He was a narcissist. He was wicked. He lacked compassion. He had no conscience. But now we see that he's selfish. Why do we see this? Because when he eventually agreed to answer this lady, 
He mentions why he was going to answer a request. He even says this. He's such a self-centered narcissist. He goes, because this widow keeps bothering me, I ought not to be bothered like this. Because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice. Not because it's just. I don't care about justice. I care about me not being bothered. He says, because this widow keeps bothering me, that reason, because of that, I will give her justice, even though I don't care about justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. That's why he's going to make his decision. So he could be rid of her. This is a crooked judge. He didn't care about justice. He cared about himself. So family, if the poor, persistent widow could have her request answered by the selfish, wicked, compromised judge, how much more wouldn't your persistent prayers be answered by your selfless, good, gracious Father in heaven? He wants to hear from you. He's just. He will answer. Why are we not praying is the question. We aren't praying oftentimes because we know our Father's not compromised, but we think we are, therefore He won't answer. But let's keep looking into the story and we see how that is answered. Because right now we've looked at this judge and we have deciphered his character flaws. But let's now turn to this poor widow and let's look at her. Firstly, she was of no consequence and was unknown to this judge, evidently. He possibly never even saw her before. He certainly didn't know her. Who she was and what she needed was of no concern to him. It's evident in the story that the only concern he has was him not being harassed by her. So family of God, when you come before God, you come to Him differently. She came to Him not known by Him and he couldn't care for her. You and I, when we come to our Father, we come to Him as Christ's bride, the bride of His only Son, the very one the Father elected to marry His Son, the one whom the Father foreknew even before the foundations of the earth. Is it a little warm in here for you guys? Or are you comfortable? Okay. Think about this for a moment. I don't know if you're familiar in Romans where it talks about the chain of the golden chain of salvation. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Those whom he predestined, he also called by the gospel. Those whom he called, he also justified by the cross. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. He also raises you from the dead with Christ. There's the gospel right there. It's called the golden link of salvation. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Now the word foreknew can be interpreted those whom he knew beforehand, before the foundations of the earth. He looked at you, he knew you. And then what he did was he also predestined you to be made right through the cross and 
If he predestines you, then he calls you to the cross, he justifies you, and then he glorifies you in Christ, okay? So that could mean that he knew you beforehand, before you were born, before the earth was created. He saw you, he knew your name, and he knew you. But in the Bible, the word knew is actually the word love. He knew her. He knew her, like for instance, with Joseph and Mary, he did not know her at that time, yet she was pregnant. But God foreknew you. He foreloved you before the foundations of the earth. And that's why he said, you are mine. I will predestine you to be justified. Therefore, I will call you, and so I will glorify you in my son so that you can be the bride of my son. Even in the Jewish culture, you have that, where uh, the father goes and he gets uh, the bride for his own son, right? And so here we see this poor widow. She comes before this judge who did not know her, possibly never saw her before, and he did not care for her because he disrespected human beings. This is how she came to this judge. You and I, we come to our Father not as somebody who's not known. He foreknew us. Not as somebody He didn't care for. No, He loved us. We come to Him as Christ's bride. We come to Him as the one that He elected for His Son. We come to Him the one for whom He foreknew and therefore He loved us from eternity past all the way to eternity future. Why? Because he says there is nothing and no one that can take you out of the love of God that he has for you. I mean, from eternity past, in other words, if you say, hey, how long is eternity? Somebody will always go like, well, it's like on and on and on and on and on and on. And usually they're only thinking forward, right? They think eternity doesn't end. The clock just keeps on ticking. Eternity is forever and ever and ever and ever into the future. But that's eternity future. There's also such a thing as eternity past. <laughs> if you had to turn back the clock forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, that's when He loved you, foreknew you, predestined you, called you, justified you, and glorified you in His Son. He's always loved you. And the Bible says there's nothing and no one that can ever take you out of His love or out of His hand forever into the future. And this is the person who comes to that loving Father, known by that Father. Now compare that to this poor widow who came to that judge who did not know her, couldn't care for her, but still gave her what she wanted because she persevered in her requests. This is Jesus' teaching right here about prayer. How much more would you get what you ask for when you persevere and persist in prayer? That's the first thing we learn about her. The second thing we learn about her is that we realize this poor widow appeared before this wicked judge without a lawyer, without an advocate, Without a friend, she stood in front of him all by herself, defending herself, depending upon herself to make her own case before this heartless, wicked, godless, disrespectful, 
uncompassionate judge with no conscience. Here she comes. She has to make this case. Family, what Jesus is teaching us here about prayer is that when you and I come to the Father in prayer, we, not, we do not come alone like that poor widow had to. We do not depend on ourselves to represent ourselves, to make our own case. We have an advocate who makes intercession for us forever. That's what the Bible says. He, makes, he intercedes for us or He ever makes intercession for us, the Bible says. We have a friend who goes before us and stands in that gap on our behalf. Jesus is the substitute standing in our place, pleading on our behalf. So family, if the poor widow could accomplish what she did with perseverance and persistence alone, imagine how your heavenly Father will answer your persevering and persistent prayers, considering the fact that you have an advocate with the Father and His name is Jesus. If we know this, why won't we just come to God all the time and pray about everything and come in a persistent way, persevering in prayer? I mean, when Jesus was, was in the garden before, before the cross, He asked His disciples to pray with Him. Of course, they all fell asleep, right? And then He comes back, He finds them sleeping, and He says, can you not even... Pray for one hour. Can't you even do this for one hour? Jesus died so that we can have a way where to back to the Father. How are we in the Father's presence? How often are we in the Father's presence? And how persistent are we when we get into the Father's presence? Or do we just kind of like have an idea of prayer and never actually pray? Finally, family number three, the third thing about this lady, this poor widow, is that she comes to the judge and she comes with nothing but her need. I beg you, avenge me. Give me justice. I beg you. When you and I come to our Father, we come to our Father with a promise on top of our need. We come to our Father with a promise from our Father. We say, God, here's the promise you gave me. So what's Jesus teaching us here? Is if she was able to receive answers to her requests without a promise, only with a need, how much more would we receive from God since He has already promised us regarding our need? In this, in this story that Jesus gives us right here, it makes no sense for an actual believing Christian to not desire to pray more, commit to pray more, put this stake in the ground now, deciding now what I'm going to do now, then for the, next, for the rest of my life. When we look at this, how much confidence don't we have towards our Heavenly Father who is a just judge? So really, family, I'm encouraging you from Tina and my heart to yours we have to pray more. We have to pray more. We have to be more confident in our praying. We have to be more persistent in our praying. We need to persevere more in our prayer. We need to come with God's promises when we come to pray. Because times aren't getting easier, as you noticed. 
You aren't getting younger, as you've noticed. You don't have less needs, as you noticed. And so we have to make sure we do not lose heart. How not? By praying. And knowing when we come to our Father, we come to a good, just God who loves us and has always loved us, who has chosen us and has promised us. We don't come empty-handed. We come not just with a need, but we come with a promise. Amen? And I really hope that we, as a family, would be rid of the need to sound good when we pray. <laughs> it is, uh, I've had to rid myself of the need to sound good when I pray because since I married Tina, I, I've had to rid myself of that. <laughs> Seriously, you have to just speak to God more sincerely. That's the only thing. Then you speak to anybody else more openly and with greater faith. Amen? It's how you follow Jesus.